right. Okay. Hello and welcome to the Old and In the Way comedy podcast with Bob and Mark, where we fight ages and one bad joke at a time. Our mission is that reluctantly we found ourselves to be quite old and have learned the hard way that repression and denial are not enough to hold back the tides of reality before we get our tickets punched. Our mission is clear. We will pull the veil back and take a shot at all the absurd and real aspects of growing old. Political correctness be damned. But before we get started, we'd like to thank our fictitious sponsor, Smart Again, for their support. Remember remembering? Smart Again is a brain supplement that will have you wondering how you got to be so damn smart. Again, Smart Again uses all unnatural ingredients that will have you incessantly bragging about your high IQ level at the next Mensa meeting. When I first heard about Smart Again, I couldn't believe it, but after a few days of taking Smart Again, I've been able to find my car in the parking lot most of the time. Stay tuned to this podcast for more information about this fine product that doesn't really exist. And ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to Jeff Burkhart, author, bartender extraordinaire. And if you give me half a second. How about that for professionalism? <laughs> Jeff Burkhardt is both an award-winning journalist and an award-winning bartender. His popular Barfly column in the Wren Independent Journal was voted best column in California in both 2014 and 2021. And he himself has been voted best bartender seven times by the readers of three different publications. His two books, 20 Years Behind Bars, The Spirited Adventures of a Real Bartender, and its sequel, 20 Years Behind Bars, Pearl Denied, are both bestsellers. And yet he still finds time to host the Barfly podcast on iTunes, which has been featured in both Marin Magazine and the New York Times, all of which has resulted in Jeff also being voted best media personality, TV, radio, print, twice in a row by the readers of the Pacific Suns. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Burkhart. How are you, Jeff? I'm good, Mark. Nice to see you. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, I've enjoyed rereading my little thing on the Tequila Sunrise. Yeah, great story. Um, how did you get started becoming an author? How did you get started becoming a bartender? Well, they both kind of went hand in hand. I had gone, I originally gone to college to become a communications major, which anyone who has a communications degree knows that's almost as good as an English degree, right? The, the, the field almost. is so broad, right? I mean, nowadays. Good enough for me. <laughs> yes, but uh, so anyhow, so uh, uh, along that path, I, I started bartending to make ends meet. And then at some point, I took a, a, a college magazine writing class where the assignment was an overheard conversation. And so the point was to go somewhere and listen to someone's conversation and write a story about it. And I thought, I don't have to go anywhere. People are coming right to me and sitting right in front of me. So I turned that that idea into a column, which then uh, uh, based on my bartending experience and that kind of snowballed and created the book and all the rest of it, which has been quite a bit of fun. Nice snowball. Yeah. Um, it was really interesting when you first reached out to me when you were working on the National Geographic assignment and um, you had seen my blog. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And that you uh, also questioned it. And then a year went by after our interview, and I was wondering, 
what happened? And then <laughs> Keith Richards' book came out, and um, I reread it again last night, and it's just a great piece that you put together, and um, it's a wonderful article. Well, it certainly had legs, that's for sure. You know, I knew the story when you told me. I mean, of course, people tell bartenders and journalists all kinds of stories all the time, and the and the you know, I always loved Stephen Colbert's truthiness thing, right? Where it mm -hmm. has the ring of truth, but does it have any actual truth? And one of the interesting things, of course, about the Tequila Sunrise thing is all the facts kind of lined up. The only thing I needed was verification from the Rolling Stones, right? That that something like that had happened. And of course, I reached out to them. And, uh, you know, the reason it took a year is I never heard back, obviously. And uh, and but then ironically, when Keith Richards book came out, what it was a chapter three or something, you know, the, chapter the nine, paragraph one, sentence yep. one. Yep. Yep. The, the, the cocaine and tequila sunrise story. You can't get any more verification than that. And then, of course, they released their own Cuervo tequila based on that. And then, of course, Cuervo did a series of, of commercials and videos all based on that story. As I, you know, I, I got thinking, to be in one of them. Yes. And, and you know, and, and you were the impetus for the whole thing because, you know, it was our lunch down there at the Trident. And, you know, we talked about a lot of things that day, Robin Williams and all kinds of things. But that was for me, it was ironic because I had just gone to Japan to do a story about Japanese whiskey and here the best story I think I've ever done or been been privy to tell was uh, the one in my own backyard, literally two miles from where I work. Um, it was more fun than I can tell you. And Bobby Losoff, who is the creator of the uh, modern version of the Tequila Sunrise, yep. um, filling this in for our audience. Um, you really turned his life around. He's now a retired person in Hawaii, and he's still playing on this string and getting still yeah. getting mile, mileage out of it. Well, it was important, and, and I'm and I'm happy for him. You uh, yes. made him a celebrity in his old age, and he's well, thrilled. Well, he deserves it. You know, I mean, he was kind of cut out of the picture in the in the first part of the story when Cuervo originally in the seventies launched, you know, put the tequila sunrise recipe on the back of their bottle and they kind of omitted him from the story, right? And so it was nice to be able to put him back in. And, uh, you know, again, you know, it's, it's, it's rare that you get to meet, you know, Ian Fleming or, or Hemingway and ask them what the hell they meant by that, where Bobby is one of the few people with whatever you think of the tequila sunrise as a drink. And I argue that the original version is far better than, than the one most people are familiar with, but the original one had cassis and lime and, uh, and grenadine and orange. And uh, that's a delicious drink, even to this day. And I still make it for people. But the point being is that, you know, it, it, it is one of it. If you have to name three tequila uh, uh, cocktails, you get two out, margarita and maybe a Paloma, and then you're stuck. And the tequila sunrise is the only one next. And I've seen it on menus all over the world, which is, you know, truly a testament. Let me dial Bob back into this, because in your email, you mentioned that you had interviewed uh, Barney. Yeah, my Barney. Yeah. And you had a Marty Ballin story. And so our audience knows that Bob um, is the co-author of the rock opera Rock Justice that he co-created with Marty Ballin of the Jefferson Airplane and Jefferson Starship. Bob, you're on. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Um, go ahead, Jeff. Well, we can go with Bob. Why don't you give us a little background on Rock Justice? Yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. Uh... I was in law school and what we studied in our music law class was the uh, eternal litigation of the Jefferson Airplane against their first manager, a guy named Matthew Cates, who also ripped off Moby Grape. 
uh, and uh, the professor came in excited one day and said, class, Buckwell versus Cates in its, I think, 18th year of litigation is actually having a jury trial down the street. And you guys don't have to come to class. You can go to the courtroom. <laughs> and lo and behold, there was the, the, the airplane members talking about uh, what had happened uh, when Matthew Cates had forced them to uh, or enticed them to write to sign a contract with him saying that RCA wouldn't sign them unless he signed that they signed that contract, which wasn't true. Uh, and uh, many of the questions that were asked by the uh, by the lawyers was answered with, I don't know, we took a lot of acid that year. But uh, everybody was there pretty much. And uh, I wound up meeting uh, Marty and Paul and those guys. And I had come from uh, looking for the National Geographic, coincidentally, for wow. that video disc, was, which was supposed to be the next big thing, which of course it didn't turn out to be. Uh, and the Starship recorded for RCA, who were also excited about video disc. And Marty and I had the idea of writing a rock opera to be a video disc and uh, inspired by this courtroom trial, wrote Rock Justice, which was the story of a rock singer who falls asleep and has a nightmare that his own band puts him on trial for not having a hit. And uh, uh, we wound up putting that on, but we also at Marty's suggestion uh, enlisted Mike Varney to be both the prosecuting guitarist and co-composer. And Jeff? What's your, what's your Marty story and your Varney story? Well, my, uh, so Mike, uh, uh, I, I went to San Francisco State and my, one of my professors there was Don Men, who was the founder of Guitar Player Magazine. Oh. And uh, he had hired Mike Varney to write a column called, I think it was a, a Guitar Spotlight, if, I'm not, if, I, if I remember correctly. And Mike, being the clever guy that he is, used his connections with talking to all these people to actually sign these art artists to a record label that he created called Shrapnel Records. And so Shrapnel Records was a, a initially a mail order uh, a, a, a record company that had all these uh, up and coming rock guitar players. And so, you know, he, he but he had met them all through Guitar Player Magazine. So I got to hear both sides of that when I was uh, doing a story about Mike because he lives here in, or he lived here in Nevada. I think he's moved out of Vegas but about how that all happened. And he had quite, he has quite a, a long history and he's not only an accomplished guitar player uh, in his own right, but he's, he's, he's a, a, a great judge of talent. Yeah. And he has assembled a huge amount of people on, a se on several different record labels that he now owns, uh, Blues uh, International, I think it is, and, uh, and, uh, and Shrapnel, of course. And so it was a fascinating story to hear from both sides because I could talk to both sides of the equation on a, on a friendly basis because I knew both of them. So I, I did a, a definitive biography on him and, uh, and, and it was quite entertaining because it's one of those times where when you sit down, like when I did the Tequila Sunrise story, I talked to Bobby Lozoff and uh, when he said, um, oh, would you like to verify that with the, with the, the Stones uh, tour manager from that era? Uh -huh. And I said, yeah, I, I would. <laughs> <laughs> and so he put me in touch with uh, Jerry Pompilli. Oh, wow. Who was, I mean, I had a, a half an hour interview with him about Bobby Lozoff, and then two hours on the phone talking about his experiences in the south of France with the Rolling Stones, right? So it's wow. those kind of connections that, as a journalist, don't get into the story, but are invaluable at, on a personal level. Because all those things, I mean, I went to San Francisco State because Don Men was there. And because the dean of students had written for Rolling Stone Ma magazine, dean of journalism had written for uh, Rolling Stone magazine, when I really appreciated Rolling Stone magazine, and I loved his writing style. 
So that was one of the reasons I gravitated to that. And then later on, be able to meet a lot of these people as a result of that has been fabulous. So my, the Marty Ballin story is a is not so much my story, but my wife uh, uh, was actually uh, is actually a singer and had an album released in the eighties and uh, call, called uh, Temptation. Her name's Holly Stanton, and uh, she had gone to Marty Ballin's house on a date, I believe. I mean, it's you know those kind of stories are always a little vague when you're telling your significant other, but uh, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was, and because uh, uh, I guess the guitar player wanted to impress her. And she didn't like Marty Ballard and uh, she didn't like his music. I don't, she didn't really, she didn't know him. And so when she got there, he said something about miracles. And she said, well, whenever I hear that song, it makes me want to run screaming from the room. Whoa. <laughs> so he asked her to leave, which uh, is my Marty Ballard story, which wow. I, I think it was, I think it's, I think it's time for you to go now. So hilarious story. You know, I just did a, an event with the the modern starship which is just a uh, freiburg i believe at this point yeah. and some other characters at uh at the great chefs and wineries but they can still knock it out of the park i tell you is, is prairie in the band now uh it, it no it was um uh the other one donnie baldwin i believe donnie ba oh wow yeah so but it's uh i forget the the singer's name but she's very she she, uh, she did some stuff i believe with um, big brother and and some other things she's pretty fairly accomplished and i can't yeah. even think of her name off the top of my head but but they were good fiber can still play i i, I love the story I, I need to just one little mike varney aside i had met mike mike when he was in high school and when he was in a punk band called the nuns yeah and uh you know made, took the money he made from rock justice and started shrapnel records and years later he bought a rolls royce and he asked me do you think the musicians will have the wrong idea if they see me driving a rolls and I said, Mike, they'll have just the right idea. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Yeah, uh, but that's 100% accurate, right? Yeah, yeah. And then my, I, I remember my, uh, Marty's living room well. You had, it had a good view of the street. And I remember one day we were working on Rock Justice. And he looks out the window and says, Bob, Bob, it's Grace. Let's hide. And uh, we hid. And she was drunk and throwing bottles against the door. And Ballad, I know you're in there. Uh, Anyway, uh, one, one thing I would love your take on, Jeff, is uh, speaking of, uh, of the current version of the, of the Starship, uh, half the acts I see touring are cover bands or tribute bands. Yeah. It would have been unheard of back in you know, our, our, our heyday, since Mark and I are talking about being old. Uh, what do you make of the fact that, I mean, half the acts playing are, are Pet Tom Petty tribute bands, there's a Wilburys tribute band out, there's probably seven or eight dead tribute bands. Uh, what, what do you make of that phenomenon? Well, it, it goes to your uh, Mike Barney Rolls Royce uh, uh, issue that uh, it's about money. Yeah. Is, you know, I owned a live music nightclub for about five years in San Rafael called The Fault Line. And we did up and coming acts. And, and like I said, we either got them on the way up or on the way down. We never got them at their peak ever, right? right? Just basically because of the size of the place. But, but the thing is, is that back, like you said, there were very few tribute bands back then. We booked almost all original music, maybe one or two tribute bands, where most of the people who played in those bands that we booked now are in these tribute bands. And a lot of the tribute bands are actually the same band, just kind of reformulated. And then there's the ironic, the, the, the more ironic point is bands that are actually tribute bands to themselves, where it's members of the band who really were kind of loosely connected to the band, 
doing parts of, oh. of the band that they used to be in for a moment, right? One of the guys who was in Rock Justice and sings on the album is a guy named Jeff Pilson. Yes. Docking, but he's been in Foreigner now uh, longer than the original bass player was in Foreigner. Yeah. There are no original members in Foreigner. Right. Uh, so, you know, I, some of these. And they haven't released an album in, in 10 years. Well, right? exactly. So, I mean, basically, Foreigner is a tribute band to Foreigner. Right. As, as are a lot of these. But the fact that that's what's popular, I mean, I guess it's a, it's, is it a, is it a statement about that there's not a lot of popular new music or, or that how great the old music was or something else? Well, I think it's a little, it's an intersection of all of that. Right. I said the one thing that, you know, is the the old uh, I remember Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin, of course, uh, when he st went on his solo career for the first two or three tours, he refused to play any Led Zeppelin material. Yeah. Right. And so the problem was most of the people going there were going to see him because he was in Led Zeppelin. Right. And that's pretty frustrating. We've all probably seen an artist who refuses to play their hits. You know, the right. dead are famous for that. Yeah. But uh, again, and the thing about the dead has always struck me is for the amount of popularity that they have, the amount of records that they've sold is not really as significant. And Jeff is a great example of Dokken. Dokken has sold all many as rec, almost, because he was in Dokken too, I don't, you know, yeah. uh, uh, before that. Uh, not the founding member, but secondary, uh, one of the second, main, during their main thrust of their career. Yeah. And uh, Dokken has sold almost as many records as Grateful Dead, oh, right? But doesn't yeah. have nearly the cultural impact of that. The, the Dead, I mean, Touch of Grey was pretty much the only top 10 hit they ever had. And I believe the only platinum album. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but, but you know, as, as I think it was Bill Graham who, who once said not only that it was the best of what they do, but the only ones at what they do, but also that, uh, you know, you don't need a lot of fans if every fan goes to every show. Right, and buys every record. And right? buys every record. Right. <laughs> so again, that that's kind of, but that plays into what I'm saying about is that if people want to belong to some of these things and you know a band like like petty theft for instance who covers petty uh you know tom's tom's dead you know unfortunately un, and and suddenly and, and tragically yeah. but if you want to hear those songs what's your option right yeah. you know there's a, a other bands like deep purple for instance whose second incarnation was just as popular as their first incarnation but nobody plays those songs anymore so if you go to see Deep Purple, they're only going to play songs from the from the band when the yeah. singer that's currently in it is. And that's where you have to admire like the Starship, where they they pretty much play everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and that was that was that was nice to see. Right. We're going to play all the songs, all the hits, everything you want. And trust me, the Starship can put together a greatest hits package. It was oh, an yeah. awesome show. I was impressed. Um, I, it, it somehow I, I, there's a phenomenon when I lived in Hollywood down, down by the uh, on Hollywood Boulevard. All of these people would show up as superheroes. So there would be the Batman guy, and there would be the <laughs> Superman guy, and the Wonder Woman person. But if two Batman showed up, they would get into a fight. I'm surprised <laughs> that through all these tribute bands, you know, that Petty Theft doesn't fight with the other Petty uh, right. people, and you know, and all the God knows all the dead. Every night of the week up here in North, the North Bay, there's a there's a Grateful Dead something yes well and you know i i i made many jokes about uh about the the frequency of dead stories and the and the publication i write for because it, you know they sneeze it's a story right yeah, yeah. and uh and and again like i said but then you look at someone because Dawkins was a local band right yeah. you know and uh and 
and it's shocking, like I said, that they don't get the kind of publicity, but that's all part, part and parcel of that industry, right? It's not just creating a product, just like writing a book. It's not just the writing of the book or creating the song. It's being able to get it out there and consistently deliver it. Is, is part of the issue that, you know, now with uh, the death of, of, not death of radio, but, but the fact that everybody can record now, you know, and, and, and get a record out, but it's very hard to break through and get mass play. Uh, is that one reason why there aren't, the, the chart, you know, why, why this, the clubs aren't full of younger bands? Well, you know, there are clubs that do cater to that, but the crowds don't seem to be there. And these yeah. festivals are kind of the old Dan the Green mashup plan, right? Where we're going to take 10 bands that don't have the same groups of fans and stick them all together. So then you, you draw, you know, like when we used to do the nightclub, you try and put thematic bands together. So if you did a heavy metal show, it'd be three heavy metal bands. That's kind of how you did it on that, on that level. But you're talking for, you know, four to 500 people. Once you get up to the thousands, you need multiple followings. You can't just, everything's so diversified now. Like you said, radio, nobody listens to the radio anymore. Or if they do, it's, it's streamed. You go and pick the songs and put them together for yourself, which is a very different dynamic. You know, I just did, it's funny that you mentioned that because I just did a, a friend of mine put together this book for the record. And it's a, a collection of top 10 album lists from, from, from Nish and his friends. Nish is one of the founder or one of the original employees at Yelp. But the point is that I made in the book is you and I, when we heard a song off an album, we're in our head listening for the next song that follows it, right? The song, whatever the second song is. After Light My Fire, there's going to be, you know, uh, Soul Kitchen or whatever it was. And uh, that doesn't happen anymore at all. Yeah. And so the idea of these concept albums, like you think about Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon and the Wall are two of the, I mean, massive sales, unbelievable numbers, just unbelievable. And nobody does it. And you wonder why. I'm, and I'm, I don't really have the answer. You know, I know the, the record industry went through some problems because of Napster originally and then because of iTunes. Yeah. But now even iTunes has lost its way. I listen to most of my music now on YouTube because I use different devices and I don't want to download iTunes onto every single thing yeah. so that I can do it and then pay a subscription and do all that when I can just go to, to YouTube, plug in whatever song I want to hear and there it pops up and it's good digital quality, right? Or good enough. Yeah, exactly. Good enough. Uh, can, can I get you to talk about your books? And oh, sure. How anybody so, paying attention to our podcast might... I, I, have a, I have a little bit of input having uh, begun um, 20 years behind bars, Pearl denied. Um, the prologue hit me because I did seven plus years of bartending and you uh, covered that beautifully with the things that make it fun and then the things that um, all the hard work and right. sometimes the difficulties because you're around a substance that alters people's behavior. And as bartender, I learned that after one drink, if somebody's on medication, you can get a whole transformation before you even know it's happened and you are in a whole new realm and you have to be able to step up and deal with it. Yeah, I mean you're you're right. You know, it's funny. I uh, there, there's a new there's a new licensing for bartenders in California called the Responsible Beverage Service License. So for the first time, well, actually not the first time, but for the first time in a long time, uh, bartenders in California have to be licensed. 
right? They have to take a they have to take a training and a quiz, and it's a good idea because yeah. the book is it, the, the 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 rule book is is quite extensive, and every time I look through it, I find out something new uh, that I didn't know before. Like I just discovered yesterday while teaching this class and and trying to answer a student's question that the penalty for a bartender being intoxicated is twice what the penalty for serving a minor is. And and Mark, you know, as well as I know, there are lots of bartenders who are working intoxicated, right? And, and it's back in the day, the bartenders either drank or didn't drink at all. Yes, or were and, somewhere in between that moment, right? Uh, well, my last year of bartending, I stopped drinking for a year just to make a point to myself. And it's that some point watching everybody on the other side of the bar sober uh was another interesting take on yes experience but i also had a question about uh an article that i think you had on a post on facebook where it appears that you may have had lady gaga in the buckeye one oh, yeah and you well, kind of dance around it but you hint towards the end yes it was her yeah. is that true I believe it was. Yes. Right. The funny thing is, and this is this is perfect for this show because nothing made me feel more like an old guy, like realizing uh, I didn't recognize because I the, the problem was I didn't you know, she 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 came. Uh, this couple came in and they sat at the bar and couples come in, sit at the bar all the time. And she was lively and entertaining. But the one thing that struck me as really peculiar and, and I'm not a person who kind of notices this sort of thing, but her eyebrows looked really just strangely dramatic right they were very noticeable and very well manicured and again that's not something i would notice right i'm first of all i'm colorblind so i, I don't notice things that relate to color but there was just something about it where i went wow those are the most meticulously groomed eyebrows i think i've ever seen in my life and she was playful and interactive and then she she asked me do we see many celebrities and i went into my my little spiel about you know the guys from Metallica or Carlos Santana or um, um, uh, Nardo Michael Walden, which I have a funny story share it with you about him. And uh, uh, and but I did you know I was just talking to some random hiking person because she was in you know baseball cap and 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 hiking gear. And then she said something strangely so specific about Lady Gaga, and I thought it was kind of odd because I no one's ever asked me that. Right. I'm, I'm not of the age where people would think I'm a fan of Lady Gaga. Right. Even though I, I do appreciate some of her songs. But it was funny that that kind of stuck with me and we kind of had a little playful back and forth. And and then when she left, I made a passing joke saying, you know, uh, don't forget, uh, make sure you wear the meat dress the next time. And her reaction was not what I expected. She seemed rather shocked, like, uh oh, kind of as my and. I realized, wait a minute, is that so? I came home, and uh, and when my daughter is 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 briefly living with us from her hiatus from she's an actress in L.A., so she's back up here for a while. And I said, you know, what's up with Lady Gaga? Do you have any pictures? And she drew the she popped up a picture on her phone, and sure enough, I'm like, uh oh, I think that was Lady Gaga. Uh -huh. And so my 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 joke was it. You know, a couple of things might have happened. One, Lady Gaga came in and uh, I didn't recognize her. And or, or two, you know, Lady Gaga didn't come in. And I think and some these two characters from down the street think I'm some sort of weirdo. Right. So that was kind of the thing, because, you you know, I don't you know, with celebrity, much like when you worked at the Trident and you know had all your experiences, 
you, you have to be delicate how you deal with that because that can backfire on you in a heartbeat as a service person because you might have to deal with wait, wait on them again and they might not appreciate that right absolutely so that's that's always the thing my the the nardo michael walden tie-in is funny because you know who he's a producer he was in jeff beck's band a uh, great drummer I, and, uh, I he wasn't there but i was in his house when it was on gil martin drive off to brown boulevard Minutes, uh, there were more gold album awards and are we running out of time five minutes five okay. minutes so okay. i'll cut to the quick the quick but sure he, so i've known him you know I, I i know i know him i doubt he knows me which is fine because you know you meet a lot of famous people but one day he came into my work and said uh uh hey jeff and i was kind of taken aback that he knew my name and i said yeah hey nardo what's up and he says uh can i take a picture with you wow. and i said you want to take a picture with me and he said yeah and i said you know sure but i have to ask you why <laughs> and he said and this is fabulous he said my wife is a huge fan of your column in the ij and oh, so great. i want to show her that i know you oh wow. that was funny uh, which, which, which was hilarious and the the I, the ultimate irony is as we're standing there holding up the book taking the picture i i tell him oh by the way you're in the book so it's and there's a funny story about him and carlos and uh and um uh, quincy jones in the book and about them all denied yes okay i'm not there yet yeah so. i've been through uh three chapters and i'm uh having a blast yeah well good i'm glad you're enjoying it mark the book is available on amazon and your local bookstore yep you can get it through you know uh, barnes and noble it's available pretty much anywhere it's on kindle it's on ibooks uh, all of all my books are so if you just go, you know, if you I, as I tell people you punch in Jeff Barfly, you'll get more stuff than you could possibly want, including your oh. podcast, right? Including a podcast, which is on iTunes and it was just featured in The New York Times, which was a, a big deal. Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah, thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. Now the world will know. <laughs> well, a, a segment of the world. And, and as uh, nice and, and as much as you downplay it, you have very much become a celebrity in your own right as an author. It's uh, really good stuff. And I think what you've done for bartending is you've kind of raised it up a little and put it in a very interesting light. Well, again, I was shocked when I did the books, that the first book, because you have to pitch an idea and you, have, and you have to get comps. And all the bartenders I've worked with who said, I'm going to write a book, I'm the only one I'm the only bartender when that book came out who actually did, right? From a bartender's perspective, not a book about cocktails, right? As, as a, America's Test Kitchen said more about mixing people than mixing drinks. And I, I use that all the time because I couldn't have said that better myself. Oh, that's awesome. But you also have a personality that supports this. And I'm just gonna tease you a little bit about the last chapter I read about the gorgeous woman who came in and you explained the whole vermouth history thing to her. And then when you were done explaining to it, she was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> and, and you're, I, I think I said, I, I've successfully killed any interest she might've had in me. <laughs> that was hilarious. Loved yeah. it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Mike. Okay. In the last two minutes, Mark, any last question you want to ask or Jeff, any last thing you want to get in? Jeff, it's all yours. Well, you I would say you, you know, want to promote. Well, I mean, it's not so much promoting. Well, I, I like what you guys are doing with the podcast because one of the things that you think about 
is, you know, just because you haven't heard, you know, I mean, our culture is so based on the new thing, whatever's hip and hot and new. And the thing is, that doesn't mean that what what uh, what is happening hasn't been happening for a long time and it's not still good, but it just doesn't get reported on as much. And I think that's unfortunate. And uh, and the thing is, you, like we think about music stars, why whatever happened to them? Well, maybe they're doing a Broadway show. If it's outside of your milieu, you don't really know what's happened to them. And I encourage everybody to look it up online and follow these people because a lot of these people are artists and they're still doing stuff. You just don't hear about it as much as you should. And I think that's a shame. Do you know who Machine Gun Kelly is? Yes. Because I caught a documentary and he switched over to rock and roll. Yeah. And he may be an up and coming rock and roller um, that's actually not horrible. Right. Well, I, I you think know. he's extraordinarily uh, pretty good. And what he does to his audience is he just kind of switched into the rock and roll. He goes, well, this actually makes me happy. He was kind of a blue, depressed person uh, doing his rap, hip hop stuff. And now he's a rock and roll artist. And thank God for rock and roll. Long live rock and roll, right? Yeah. Rock is not dead. I don't care what they said 50 years ago. Yeah. In 20 years, there can be a Machine Gun Kelly tribute band. <laughs> <laughs> Soon coming, I'm sure. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the Bob and Mark Olden in the Way comedy podcast with our special guest, Jeff Burkhart. Jeff, thank you so much for doing this. We uh, had a blast. Well, thank you very much for having me. That was a lot of fun. Thank you, guys.